1: How's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have you with us once again. It's that time of the week where we get together and talk some Bengals football. We sometimes do it more than once a week, depending on what's going on around the league and what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. But it's we still have our weekly show, our, our one-hour-ish show. Uh, we say one-hour-ish. We always try and keep it 45 minutes to an hour. But uh, we, get, we get jabbering and uh, some other... Some listeners call in, and we get some good engagement. So we uh, we sometimes go over, but it's around an hour. You can plan to be with us about an hour. And by us, aside from myself, of course, I mean my co-host John Sheeran. John, how are you? You are. Uh, we spoke a little bit before we got on the air. You are. You're all grown up. Our little baby's all grown up. He uh, graduated from University of Cincinnati. He's a ba- he's a Bearcat, a Bearcat alumni officially. How are you, bud?
2: That that doesn't sound right at all. That does not sound right at all. Um, um I'm, I'm still still on campus, so I'm gonna pretend I'm a student for as long as I can until, until some bills come my way. So let's just keep that vibe for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, live that life, man. Uh, <laughs> be uh, be be Mitch from old school, you know? Uh, just <laughs> hang out on campus till you're, you know, you're 35, 40 years old. Start a frat. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fun. That sounds sounds like a fun time to me. Uh, but yeah, congratulations on that, man. That's a, that's a big accomplishment, obviously, and uh, you know, hopefully, big things are ahead for you. And um, hopefully, it's it's still in this arena that you've been working in for about a year or two now. So, uh, we look forward to seeing what's ahead for you. And congratulations once again on that. Well uh, there there's been to kind of kick off the show here there's been some interesting news even though it's a little bit of a lull there was the you know the big to do with the draft and all the analysis and we, we you know we kind of picked that apart last week. We talked about each one of the picks um, I think over, overall it seems like a solid draft class for the Cincinnati Bengals but where the news has kind of uh, peaked a little bit after the draft for the Cincinnati Bengals has been with the wide receivers and the, and, and with some of their bigger names, um, AJ Green and John Ross have, have uh, been in the headlines because of some comments they've made. And then there's uh, some rumors that have been floating around with another wide receiver in the group. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Kind of what's interesting about this group. We mentioned it last week, John, is the Bengals didn't haven't really done much this offseason in terms of addressing that group, you know, A.J. Green, IR, set to become a free agent. Tyler Boyd, end of the year injured, set to become a free agent. John Ross, injured a little bit last year, uh, showed some signs of growth, not, you know. And then behind them, you've got a lot of question marks in Josh Malone, Cody Core, etc. Really, the biggest name they brought in was undrafted free agent Stanley Morgan, Um did if, I, I guess I'll just start it off before we get to the comments and all the specifics and, and what we're going to talk about here. But, I mean, are, are you confident in this group? And, and uh, were you surprised that the Bengals didn't really do all that much to address this group, uh, given those circumstances that I just mentioned?
2: Um, the only kind of minor surprise would be a, a lack of a draft pick, considering they have both A.J. and Tyler Boyd um, entering contract years because the Bengals typically like to get ahead. And get, at least get some potential replacements on, on books via draft pick, like we saw that with Trayvon Williams potentially Giovanni Bernard's replacement running back, Michael Michael Jordan potentially Clint, Clint Bowens replacement mm-hmm. at left guard. They don't, and it's hard to obviously replace AJ Green and Tyler Boyd for how talented they are. But um, I, I think it does speak volumes about their confidence in the group with a lack of any serious investment in that position, and not only the fact of of the talent level that's already there, but their confidence level in getting both green and Boyd on, on the books going forward. But I have confidence in the, in the three starters that they have. I've obviously AJ Green's AJ Green. I think Boyd's development is going to continue into more positives than what he even showed last year. Hmm. And, 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 and yeah, I, I still have faith in John Ross maybe not to live up to that um, hype as a ninth overall pick, but just as a, a solid complimentary option to give the, to give the trio just the spark that, green boy can't really provide in terms of deep thread and, and yards after catch ability. So the confidence is there with me in the top three, the confidence beyond that in the, in the depth is still very shaky, but I think it, it's just a, a Testament to them willing to tap the, or to spark that potential that hasn't been sparked it with, with guys like Josh Malone with guys like Alex Erickson and with a guy like Stanley Morgan Jr. And I, I think there is definitely potential there and adding another body in that group can, Now can create some competition, but can also stunt the potential development of a guy like Malone, who I think still has a chance to become something solid as another complimentary piece. And Erickson is Erickson. We'll talk a little bit more about him, but I think this, I think this group has enough pieces to work and to get the offense back on track. Obviously it's led by very solid veterans, very talented veterans. I think overall better utilization of the group is what's more important than just injecting more talent in a group that I think has enough talent already.
1: So you, you mentioned the, idea of you know the Bengals probably feel like they are are pretty confident in the fact that they'll keep boyd and or green probably both at least beyond 2019 yeah Um, and i guess you know to kind of segue a little bit start to segue into some of the comments aj green said he wasn't really sure what his future holds he wants to remain in cincinnati that's some of the comments he made Maybe the plan is franchise tag green and long-term sign Boyd because of the age and some of the injury stuff with, with green. Is that, is that something because I'd be hard pressed to see them giving out two huge deals to two wide receivers, two long-term deals, AJ green. Now, I mean, by the time after this season rolls around, you know, he's, he's approaching his, uh, you know, I think he's entering his eighth or ninth season right now. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, double-digit years in the league. He's not. He's not a young pup. I mean, is that is that the route you maybe foresee them going? Is franchise tag Green long-term Boyd, maybe vice versa? But I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, because they rarely use the franchise tag. And I don't. I, don't, I think it was Michael Johnson was the last time they did back in 2013. And we and obviously when teams use the franchise tag, it's very rare that a long-term extension is reached after that. I think. Yeah. I think. The, I think the plan is for both to get extensions. I don't, I don't know be, because of Green's recent durability issues because he's going to be 31, 32 going into 2020. The, the, there's, a, there's a slight devaluation of what he could potentially get on the open market, and that's why it, if you offer to trade him, teams may not pony up for a first-round pick because of those factors in general. I think with Boyd, it's it's going to be obviously significantly less because he's not a true number one receiver, and I think there's a market for a receiver like him. Guys like Keenan Allen have said it, Paul Richardson on the open market, even Marvin Jones, to to a sense, there's been a slight – uh, inflation for um, like the, your 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 flanker, your number two receivers, and it, it's probably going to be around the eleven to twelve million range for him. Either this off, se- or either late this offseason when they usually do extensions, or if it it's the open market, it may go up to thirteen or fourteen. But it's not going to be, I guess, as much as Green. I think it's still going to be a price that the Bengals would be willing to pay for what Boyd is, because that's that's a player that they developed the right way under this regime, is growing a lot of chemistry with Dalton. I think. Um, they, they, they might have learned their lesson after letting both Marvin Jones and Mohamed Snood go they, they kind of lucked out with Boyd and, and as long as AJ Green is here he's going to need that, that extra help and I think it is a priority to get them both under contract because I, I believe that if AJ Green does get franchise tagged there's a significantly less chance that he comes back for a, a third contract with the team because that's, that's another year of him potentially depreciating a, a, as a player as a receiver as an athlete and I don't think that's the preferable way for them to go about it
1: Yeah. Good point about the affordability factor of green. Um, You know, as I just said, he's entering his ninth season in 2019. So he'll be entering double digit seasons. Um, You know, so maybe, maybe the price tag while still will be very high, maybe not as high as we think, or uh, maybe even what green thinks he could get. Um, Obviously this is a big year for him, but usually the Bengals like to get these deals done the summer before these guys hit free agency. They, they, there are a lot of reasons to that. Um, sometimes they get a little bit better deal uh, from a team perspective because it's not within the fr- free agency frenzy where where teams throw a bunch of money out. But um, you know, also we have to we have to remember, and I have to remember specifically because I get upset in March and April sometimes. This keeping guys like this and being able to keep both of them is why the Bengals aren't huge players in outside free agency and don't engage in the frenzy so that's one reason and then um you know maybe they they've learned a lesson from 2015 2016 2017 when they didn't do much they let guys walk out of the door valued players and now they say you know we we can't do that we got to hang on to the the, our best players no matter the cost so uh good point there john I, i the big comment though from aj green that i thought was really telling and look when you read these interviews we've had guys on the show before too god bless them A lot of times it's player speak. A lot of time it's talking up the team and the coaches and all that kind of stuff, and rightfully so. I mean, team player, uh, be a good employee, all that kind of stuff. I thought this was very telling and a very interesting quote by A.J. Green. Um, He sat down with Chris Sims of Pro Football Talk recently in, in a video interview. Quote, playing with Coach Lewis, it's all about the defense. You don't show up the defense and coach Lewis, of course, being Marvin Lewis, you don't show up the defense at practice, but Zach Taylor is like quote OTA one. We're going to kick the defense's butt. That's what we like to hear. I love the way he teaches. He's not yelling at you. He's teaching every little detail and having you understand why we run it this way. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Uh, You know, we, we've, We've often lauded Lewis as the quote unquote players coach. Um, we kind of said, hey, the players love him. Hey and again, this may be a little bit of hey honeymoon phase right I mean they're just getting their first tastes of Taylor. They had 16 tastes of camp <laughs> where some of these guys uh, you know uh, many many years of w- with Lewis I- I still, that says a lot to me. I don't know. I don't know about you. I mean, and and in a way, it does make me feel very positive about the direction this team is heading, even with the inexperience on the coaching staff.
2: Different backgrounds, significantly different ages. I mean, Taylor is essentially a millennial, and us millennials, we like to understand why we're doing something, and I think that kind of translates to what uh, uh, Taylor w- w- was saying with that. But obviously, D- Lewis coming from a defensive background, he has his preference and way of doing things and way of running practice and practice is always such a huge component for his coaching style and, and ways to way to motivate players and, get, and to prioritize who makes the team is how, how they practice. And obviously that emphasis on, on defense and overall effort and all that stuff that, that, that was, that was his way. And, and it has been, had its benefits, but also had its negatives as well. I, I guess with Taylor and him, him being, High energy offensive guy, a la McVeigh, maybe not this to the same degree. It's it's a breath of fresh air for for Green. And you can't you can't honestly have a better mouthpiece for an organization than AJ Green, especially for an organization like the Bengals, who, for the most part, in public perception, aren't viewed as these as this world-class organization. But Green would have nothing but positive things to say about the Bengals. So when he's saying things like this. About his former coach, that's definitely when you have to prick up your ears and, and just listen to what the man's saying because you know it's it's the it's the honest to god truth. So when he's saying this, you know it was definitely real and it's definitely a real impact being felt now in Paul Brown Stadium. And that it, it, it is the off season and, and we can't take these things out of proportion, but I think this is something that we can genuinely believe is is a good thing and a positive going forward because more than anything, it's change and it's a deviation from the norm of the last sixteen years of solid but not good enough of just overall underwhelmingness and if they aren't going to succeed it's not going to be because they do the same things over and i think that's what i think it's the general genesis of what what we what we're trying to accomplish here
1: yeah and look i mean i've uh, i've said how kind of how old i am i kind of am in between the millennial and the gen x type of i'm on the the cusp for both and i you know as you as you read or, or listen to the possible personality profiles of each one of those generations. I'm like, Oh, that's me. Oh, that's not me. Oh, that's <laughs> me. like, I, I kind of, I'm, I see both in me, but I do see, and I'm going to try and word this as, as best I can. Uh, Cause it sounds great in my head, but I don't know if it's going to come out correctly, but uh, you know, I, I've also coached sports and when you, and we, we, we don't really know that Lewis is, Quote unquote, the yeller. We've seen that we've seen other coaches that have really been the yeller. They grab the face masks and blah, blah, blah. We've seen Lewis do that from time to time. We've also seen Lewis, the encourager on the sideline, clapping his hands, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we've seen it, you know, in hard knocks, you know, BF and and pro uh, in the locker room. We all remember that clip. And uh, we've seen him yell at some guys. Guys have been in his doghouse and have had very, very, you know, a lot of trouble getting out of it. But my thing is, if you're going to yell, you also have to be able to teach, and it, right. you, have, you have to you have to explain why someone yes. is doing doing something incorrectly. If you're just yelling at them, saying "No, that's not right," and they they keep you know they keep repeating the same same mistakes, then obviously that's going to get in your doghouse. They're going to get in your doghouse if you're not explaining correctly or teaching correctly. What now, is Taylor? And just by the press conferences and and what have you. He is a little bit more of the all shucks type, it seems, than than Lewis. But I, I I agree that the teaching thing is important. And I think that, you know, this I, I I can't stress this enough about how much I think what you said makes sense, John, about the, the personality profile of millennials and, and the young younger kids on this team. I, I don't think millennials and younger people respond to the harsh yelling and I, I I don't think they respond as well to that as they do teaching and understanding why they're doing something positive reinforcement, that sort of thing. I I think they just respond in a little bit of just studying and working at a university and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I I'm around this stuff and I hear about it. I read about it. I see it. So I, I think that that what you said really resonates and makes sense in terms of teaching as opposed to yelling and, you know, it almost sounds like, again, Lewis was favoring certain people and certain units over others. And that didn't maybe sit well with some people.
2: And I think more than anything, like the reason why, like the Patriots always have a system that is constantly successful is the constant evolution of it. It's the constant changing of who's on the roster and, and and what what they can do to fit who they have and kind of play to their strengths. So when you use more, and again, I'm 20, I'm 22 years old. I have no coaching experience in my life, but just mm-hmm. just knowing how I would respond to some situations. If you explain to somebody why you're doing this, and you have that open line of communication with with the strengths of your team, then they can. Come, they can start a discourse about you and say, Hey, what if we try to do things differently? And then there's an evolution of your process of your system that overall makes it better because it's the way that the, the players actually executing the system want it done. And if you can find a middle ground of, Okay, I can teach this and hey, I can play this, then you wouldn't have these constant, you know, negatives surrounding your, your coaching style and have other teams exploited so constantly over the course of 16 years. So maybe like. We, we we won't see these same tired old narratives about you know linebackers who can't cover or, or or tight ends who can't you know or or a defense who can't cover tight ends over the middle or an offense that de- um resorts to running the ball when they should pass. So you have this constant evolution of a process because you have better communication and overall better coaching and that leads to better utilization of talent. And I think that's like the main um, overall thing with this with, with this kind of new approach.
1: I think. So speaking of players that have been in Marvin Lewis's doghouse and play wide receiver uh, submit some, some more interesting comments were made by John Ross uh, with with um, in regards to a lot of different things. One of mm-hmm. which was, you know, is he surprised about the Bengals um not picking a wide receiver with their 10 picks in the draft. He said, quote, I wasn't surprised. I think it surprised other people more than it surprised us. Um, And this is a video you can, you can watch on bangles.com by the way. Um, uh, He kind of said, I think we've got a lot of good talent, a lot of good guys in our room. He says he wants to compete. Uh, I I don't want to, I don't want to belabor a lot of, a lot of time and conversation on Ross because we did speak about him last week, um, and others, but I, I think probably one of the other inner entertaining areas, um, and this is, this goes to Zach Taylor, the communicator, I guess. Uh, he said, but Ross said, basically, I talked to Zach Taylor directly and Zach told me there's a lot of rumors going around. Um, and he called and cleared it up regarding the trade rumors that were uh, floating around about Ross. So all of that's kind of interesting. I I don't know what, what do you make of Ross going into the third year in this system? Um, Is he ever going to blend? Is he ever going to look anywhere close to the guy that, that he did on the college tape, as opposed to, you know, what we've seen these first two years
2: in this system. Like there, there's a definite argument that you can make that over the last two years, like Ross would would still be a top receiver in both uh, the, the this year's class and the 2018 class, because the, the talent in college was so damn evident. It was so much more than I think the the, the perception of him was just an injury prone receiver who could only run straight. And I, and it's only been two years removed from that, so the time for a fresh start couldn't have come at a better time for him. The fact that he that he doesn't have to be like a secondary option in this offense because they did retain Tyler when he's healthy, he's still a dominant force. They have Tyler Boyd now developed into that solid number two. He's in a more, I think, relaxed state of not only having a little bit less pressure on him, but also a a, a brand new, you know, coaching staff that should be determined to put him in the best position possible. And he, he, once again, like he's, he's healthy for all we know, and hopefully he's, he's going to continue to stay healthy. And I think if they just understand what his strengths are and understand there's more to his strengths than just running in a straight line and stacking cornerbacks on the top, and they can give him the ball in more um a, a, more of a more of a variety of ways rather than just nine routes. I think there is definite potential for that production to be vastly increased. And just if you just continue on that path and don't deviate from it and just understand who he is as a player, I think there's a chance that we can see not necessarily a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns and you know, numbers that you would expect from a top 10 pick at the receiver position, but just consistent production from a number three receiver. And we'll just, I guess evaluate him from there, but we have to get to that point still. But I think that who he is as a person and who this coaching staff is and what this offensive identity is kind of building around. I think it's going to be a good match because there is obviously the, the Brandon cooks equivalent to the Rams. I don't think he's exactly the same player as Brandon cooks, but, you can manufacture production with a guy like Ross. There's you can't say that about every receiver in the NFL but his skill set, his athleticism, there's obviously some potential to work with there and I think that's that's enough and it's just a matter of Andy getting in the ball and Taylor understanding how to get in the ball.
1: Right and you know I he's not the same guy as and stick with me on this a little bit. He's not the same guy as Andrew Hawkins, but I would like to see some plays devised for Absolutely. him the same way that the Bengals used to use Andrew Hawkins. Now he's he's taller than Andrew Hawkins. He's Andrew Hawkins had a little bit more – tiny bit more stockiness to him. But, I mean, he's still – they both had comparable speed. Ross a little faster, obviously. They had the shiftiness. They had the yards after catch stuff. You know, I, I just – I think that some of the and the Bengals didn't overly use Andrew Hawkins, but they got they found ways, uh, especially in in 2012 and I believe 2013, they found ways to get him the ball and, and do so creatively. And I think that uh, you know that that can be something that they can maybe implement partially as well as some of the things that the Rams do or have done in the offenses that Zach Taylor was a part of. But big year for John Ross and you know what? Uh, without trading him. Without drafting a wide receiver, it's showing a lot of trust in him to have a big role uh, this year in the Bengals' offense. Speaking of trust and potentially having a big role in the Bengals' offense, let's move on to Alex Erickson. Uh, On Wednesday, and you wrote this post for CincyJungle.com, John, uh, there was a report, I think it was via Evan Silva of – uh, Evan Silva and Michael Lombardi on uh, the GM Shuffle podcast. They are with uh, – is it Roto World, I believe, Evan Silva's with? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have, a, they have a podcast there and uh former executive. Well,
2: well the podcast is Roto World. I think Evan,
1: Evan Silva's just – It's his role. own, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, he had, he had Michael Lombardi on there. Obviously, Michael Lombardi's been around the league for a very long time. Uh, Very well-connected guy, and uh, he dropped the bomb that uh, there have been trade rumors or trade requests about Alex Erickson, of all people, and the Bengals have declined those requests. So I guess, John, do you find this as more of an indictment of what they were potentially offered, or do you find this as, you know what, erickson is going to play a big part in this offense aside from doing his return duties it
2: very well could be both and the way that lombardi started to answer this question because they were talking about um potential breakout receivers in in terms of fantasy and he literally began like the answering the question about erickson as saying he's the cooper cup to andy dalton like cooper cup is to jared goff and initially upon hearing that, like this tyler boyd does he not exist anymore? Because he's he's still <laughs> going to start in, in, as, a, as a slot receiver. I don't know if it was just a lazy uh, Caucasian comparison there. But uh, honestly, it, it very well could mean a bigger role for Erickson going forward. And on, honestly, unless they were offered like a, like a fourth or a fifth round pick, I would have probably hung up the phone too. Because I, I think for what Erickson, what his potential to bring for an offense as like a fourth receiver to to be a backup to Tyler Boyd in in the slide, but also to do more than that to, to potentially be a uh, to be a nice flanker receiver and, and to have potential on some, you know, mid to underneath routes. And also as one of the league's more consistent and productive kick returners. So there's definitely a spot on this roster for him. He's there's definitely value for him in the receiving room. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a more um noticeable rotation with Erickson to to implement him implement him more in, into the offense. Maybe that's something that helps out Ross too, because maybe Erickson and Ross had this rotation going. You have sometimes Boyd playing on outside. We have Erickson inside. Maybe we have Erickson inside, Ross on the outside. Maybe you, get, you give AJ Green a couple more breathers. There's definite potential to use Erickson. And again, he's not a world beater at the position. He's There's nothing special about him athletically, like a guy like Hawkinson or, or, or excuse me, Andrew Hawkins and John Ross. And there's nothing... Uh, like physically he's only like six foot 200 but solid hands solid route running solid yard after the catch ability there's definite potential for production with him he's and obviously the the at the very least the the front office values him because they did sign him to a tier extension so he's here for the next two years and i think there's a, a good chance that he gets involved more and i don't know if lombardi was was implying that he knew that or that was just his personal opinion of him but i think it's worth at least pondering about
1: quite a bit of faith in a guy that has uh, 38 receptions um, in his, in his three year career, 418 yards and just one receiving touchdown. Um, But the, I'll say this, the reception to target ratio is pretty high. Um, eight target in in 2016, eight targets, six catches, uh, 2017, 16 targets, 12 catches last year, 29 targets, 20 catches. Um, I mean, not overly crazy, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it shows even in limited opportunities that he can be trusted, uh, you know, to, to move the chains, to make the catch. I mean, you look at, if you look at A.J. Green, um, granted much more target opportunities, much, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you're looking at a disparity of 164 targets to 97 catches, 178 targets, 98 catches. The catch percentage ranges from 52.4% to 66% for A.J. Green when it's, uh, you know, basically 70 to 75% for Alex Erickson. Alex Erickson's not the same player by any means. The point being, if you use him correctly, use him in a specific role, likely in a chain mover type of role, carve up the middle of the field here and there, you're probably, and again, we've said this on this podcast many times, Andy Dalton likes the short and intermediate routes. Um, You know, it can be an area where this offense thrives. And, you know, he could be the number four receiver on on this team, you know, you, you, when they go four wides, um, that, that very well could be the case, especially if what Lombardi and Evan Silver are saying is true, that the Bengals really value the guy, especially as potentially an offensive player. Um, and this isn't this isn't just a Marvin Lewis thing. Apparently, this this was this offseason, too, um, that, that teams have been inquiring about him. So um, very interesting in terms of holdovers guys that maybe were in the previous regime's doghouse injuries all that kind of stuff there the, the team and this new regime is showing a lot of faith um, in a lot of different players in the wide receiver group and i overall you got to think that that maybe bodes well for things going forward right john
2: yeah because you know if you bestow that faith in one position group and everyone else in the locker room um, that, that faith kind of bounces off and reciprocates in, into other scenarios as well. And again, this is Taylor's team and the guys that he decided to keep, to keep and and, re- and re-sign or whatever the case may be, like, like they're, they're buying in and as, as well, they should be because, you know, he, he's shown that faith to them. And I, I think it, it you know, all, all the, all the veterans in this, in this roster now, all the, rook, all the rookies now they're, they're under one goal, I guess. And they're under one, under one direction. And as long as he keeps that that same path and keeps that same mind and evolves in the in the right way, and then I think I think it should be no problem in terms of establishing a culture and, and establishing a way of doing things in that in that
1: sense. Yeah, William Costin in the live YouTube chat says Erickson is the truth. Bengals better not trade that man. And this one from James Napke is a uh, this this is just on point, man. Guar- guarantee it was Belichick that was asking <laughs> about the trade. Erickson fits perfectly in the Patriots system. That that's that is crazy accurate. Uh, Now that hasn't officially come out, but I, I would not be surprised to hear that. Um, And, you know, going back to just quickly going back to AJ Green's comments about the, the Lewis regime and Marvin Lewis favoring the defense. You have to wonder about the overall impact on Andy Dalton and what that means going forward. Um, It, you know, showing up the defense and practice, all that kind of stuff. We'll see if that plays any kind of positive factor for Andy Dalton in these practices, the way he's taught, all that kind of stuff. We'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking about the Bengals wide receivers, a lot of news there. um, And a lot of moving and shaking in terms of uh, what these comments mean. Not a lot of moving and shaking in terms of, uh, roster acquisitions or high profile acquisitions this offseason, but there's still a lot of time in the summer final cuts. They may add a guy here and there. We're going to talk a little bit in just a second about what the depth chart and roster could look like a few months down the road. We'll get to that in just a second. You can also leave us a question. We're going to, we're going to get to listener questions at the end of the show. You can leave us a question in the live YouTube chat in the comment section at cincyjungle.com. We'll be taking calls uh, uh, later in the show. Um, at 949-542-6241, or you can text us right now. Or, uh, right now, we'll be taking those. And we'll try and get to your call or text at the end of the program. You can also get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on cincyjungle.com. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. And of course, all of our stuff is on YouTube. So subscribe to those channels, get the show how you can. Get the feeds, get, get the show pumping in those, uh, in those podcast outlets how you can. Join us live when you can too. We, we'd love to have you join us and submit questions to potentially be on the air.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team,
2: Man, we have four long months to go until the regular season starts. And I was thinking about how we could pass the time. And I guess it's never too early to predict the 53-man roster, even though there's 90-plus players on it at the moment. So I ran through what how I think the roster should look. And you can find that post on cincyjungle.com, titled under playing Duke Tobin. Um, I think it's silly to predict what the roster is going to look like at the moment because we know literally Jack squat and there's not a lot of information to go off of. So right now it's mainly just about how kind of you would kind of build it. But I think there are some legitimate questions in terms of where um, there's going to be a lot of competition in training camp and preseason. And I think last off season and last preseason um, provided a a potential precedent for similar situations to come and when i was building that projection i thought back to something that you said on last week's program and it was yeah maybe the the starters and the starting talent of the Bengals hasn't drastically improved so much but the depth behind those starters and the depth overall in case there are uh, you know an abundance of injuries in the regular season the depth is better and they may be more better equipped to handle set injuries at key positions and when going through the roster and and how it could potentially look, there is more positions I would feel confident about in terms of their depth than I would last year. So looking at who's likely to make the roster going, going in September, where are the positions that you not, you would see not only major competition, the most competition in terms of the roster, but also where would you, where would we find an, a similar situation to that of what we saw from last year in terms of uh, Jesse Bates taking over for Georgia Loca and the Bengals also cutting Georgia Loca? Where, where, where could we find something like that? Because the Bengals have a lot of cap space now, but we always got to assume that they don't have as much cap space as they like because they're the Bengals. And we could see a potential veteran cap casualty. So, where on this roster would you see, or would we be able to find something like that down the line?
1: Well, so, so you're asking the, the the highest level of competition within specific position groups. Is that... Is yes. that yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there are so many. I, ironically, some are because the Bengals absolutely overhauled those th- those position groups. Others, like the one we just mentioned, they didn't really do anything in the offseason. Uh, and I think there's a lot of competition there. So, I, I mean, I think... Just because of this regime and and really, I mean, both sides of the ball were not very good last year, but because of the injuries, because of the in fact, ineffectiveness of the offense and an offensive-minded head coach coming in, I think that the spotlight's a little bit more on the offense. They also... To, to the chagrin of you, John, they didn't really add a true edge rusher. Um, I mean, they added Kerry Wynn, um, who's kind of a versatile piece up front, not really a, a true big threat. They also added Renell Wren, who's a defensive tackle, but not like the edge, hand in the dirt um, type of guy. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's much, as much competition there. Um, I'll, I'll say this, I, I the three that I would, uh, three or four groups, I guess, that I would look at Offensive guard has got to be up there. Um, You know, you you bring in John Miller, you bring in Michael Jordan, you re-sign Alex Redman. Um, These are all moves that, uh, you re-sign Trey Hopkins. These are all moves that uh, really crowd that position group. You have Clint Bowling, you have Christian Westerman still on the roster. Um, So that's going to be very interesting. Wide receiver and not beyond, I mean, I think if we're going to take this trade rumor that we just discussed about Alex Erickson, I think if we're going to take that as scripture, um, I think the four, first four spots are mm-hmm. are safe um, in terms of A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd, Alex Erickson. But behind them, Auden Tate, Josh Malone, Cody Core, can Stanley Morgan push one of them out of the door? Uh, I think I think those are going to be interesting battles to see. Um, the other thing that I, I wonder about and I want to get your take on this, John. Uh, We did get some, some comments about this, but uh, we'll get to that with the listener questions. But I almost wonder if they save a wide receiver roster spot by using Giovanni Bernard as a hybrid player. They bring in two different uh, running backs that who can also catch that they obviously value. I I don't know. I, I think to me, some of the, the maneuvering with the roster is going to be in maximizing roster spots with flexible players, like a Giovanni Bernard, like a drew sample guys that can do multiple things. Maybe drew sample is their third tight end and H back. And then you don't need four tight ends. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you have faith that Eifert's going to be healthy and ready to contribute right away. Um, you know, so to me, I, I look at the flexibility of players and how that potentially could impact certain position groups, the versatility of some of these guys, especially on the offensive line. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. But uh, I say guard, wide receiver, um, tight end, I think is going to be very interesting. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I guess if we got to go defense, um I guess I'd say defensive tackle is an area to look at as well. Mm-hmm.
2: I would I would agree with those sentiments and talking about. I mean,
1: it, gosh, why don't I just pick every position? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but like like when when I look at the tight ends, like the, the, there's because w- with me, I don't trust Eifert to stay healthy at all. Like at this point, you just have to assume he's going to get hurt and he's going to miss at least. Significant time, whether that be half the season or all the season. It's just the expectation at this point. And it's unfortunate, but it's pretty much the reality. So when looking at the group, you're thinking they should probably keep four for the sake of Eiffel getting injured because you just can't rely on him. But it's also the fact that, you know, you, and this is somebody that somebody mentioned to me in the comments of the article is that why not just, or on Twitter, why not just list, you know, Eiffel as a receiver? If you're not going to use him in, in so much of, as a traditional Y inline. Blocking tight end. Why not just just list them as a receiver? Because you're you're mainly asking them to just run routes and and just be a big slot receiver. So there's that potential avenue that, that they can do. They only keep six, but technically keep or they only keep five and technically have eifert as that six receiver. That's a that's a possibility. There that is possible to do with Bernard because I do think they plan. On having four running backs because they drafted two, and some and last year we saw them only like keep three, so there's that possibility as well. But yeah, just looking at the competition, I think it's got to be in the trenches as well. Like, they're, 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 we we're gonna have to address the Clint Bowling question sooner or later because, like, e- e- even if he's even if he's on the team this year, it's almost improbable to think that he's going to be on the team long term with the addition of Mike Jordan and with Christian Westerman still here. There's a possibility that they can work something out there, but. Yeah, like I, I, I honestly like when just when looking at it and putting it together, like it makes a lot of sense for them to just handle the bowling situation like they did with Iloka last year, where they either have Jordan or Westerman kind of groomed for that spot and kind of share reps with him early on training camp, early on in the preseason, and then either just just bench bowling and, and start one of those two to get some continuity going forward into the future of, of that line, or just cut ties to bowling and give him time to find some to to find a job somewhere else like they did with that look or just trade bowling to a contender because you know, there's obviously respect for him and what he's done over the past nine years. And the fact that he's been by far their best offensive lineman in the last two years, but now with the addition of Williams, you can almost give that distinction to him. Hopefully with Cordy Glenn being healthy, he's going to be a competent guy. So you're more comfortable about the state of the offensive line for where it is now than where it has been in the past two years. So that's definitely just a conversation that, that should probably be brought up sooner than later. And with the defensive tackle position, I have a soft spot for their last year's fifth round pick in Andrew Brown. I thought he was one of their best picks from that draft class. And I think if given the chance, he can make waves and push potentially either uh, Ryan Glasgow uh, off the roster or just insert himself as like a 10th defensive lineman there because I think there's probably gonna be five edge rushers. I don't think they invested enough to, to push Kerry Wynn off the roster a la like, like Chris Baker did last year. So, like, right. yeah, like they signed him for one year, but he's not a guaranteed lock to make the roster. But they have nothing else that, at that position to warrant pushing win off. So, I think he's safe. And then, if they only keep four defense tackles, then it's probably Brown uh, on the outside looking in. But I think if you give him a legitimate chance in, in the rotation, in the preseason, he can make some noise and just be good enough to just say, We can't say no to this guy and just have to keep 10, ten defensive linemen. And when you look at the rest of the defense, you're probably thinking, We can't keep 10 defensive backs, we keep 10 defensive linemen, so it's going to create a lot of conversation with that, and I guess, finally, uh, the defensive back room, because I think it's probably from the corners, backs, and the safeties in that aggregate group, it's probably one of their strongest, if not their strongest, because there's just not a lot of weak links there when everybody's healthy. Um, The investment of Jordan Brown, I think is exciting, and it'll create some competition with him, and last year's fifth-round picks, and Devontae Harris and Darius Phillips, and the safety room, because last year, had he not gotten hurt, Trayvon Henderson would have been a name that we would have had to remember. He was an undrafted guy from Hawaii last year, and he may have pushed um, Brandon Wilson off the roster because he made his th- that final cuts and unfortunately got injured in the last, last preseason game. So if he, if he returns to form, he can make a case for himself. And, you know, maybe they even end up keeping five safeties and five cornerbacks. So probably interior offensive line, like you said, defense stack, like you said, but I, I think there's going to be some legit competition in the secondary because of how talented and deep and, and young that group is and, uh, under the same defensive back coach last year, Durante Jones, who I think did a, did a very good job with with what he had last year, I think there's going to be some definitely definitely some young talent trying to trying to make its way onto the roster.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, you have to wonder with the Bengals waiting until the third and the sixth round to get linebackers, you have to wonder, and and those are replacements, basically. Uh, you know, Jermaine Pratt is probably the Vontez Perfect replacement in the mm-hmm. lineup. I'm not saying he will be that player or won't be that player, um, but that's the replacement there. And then you look at uh, Deshaun Davis. He is probably a guy that may push Hardy Nickerson or someone like oh that out of the door. <laughs> um, but my thing is, is, you know, that's not really adding to that group to knock a lot of people out of the door, out of the door. So I'm almost inclined to go with you in terms of the defensive back thing where maybe they go a little heavier and that's, Kind of the way of the league uh, to guard the pass, and if you have maybe a move a Sean Williams up in the box a little bit more, and you play uh, Jesse Bates and another safety back there, um, maybe you you know you you keep Webb and Denard and Jackson and Kirkpatrick on the field at the same time more frequently and less linebackers, and and that's that's the thing. And so they they go a little heavier at defensive back. I, I could definitely see. That happening, this kid that they drafted in the seventh round, they seem to like too, and he seemed to have, have good value. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went a, a little heavy at that spot. Um, to your comment about Kerry Wynn, I think that's a guy, while not a, a great acquisition, um, he is a guy that can do things from multiple spots on the defensive line, and that is a guy why, where you keep him, aside from being a Lou Anarumo guy, he is a guy that maximizes those roster spots, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could kick inside. He could play on the edge. He could do a couple of different things. And and I think that's they like keeping those kind of guys. And I think that that is something that is to note when it comes time to the Bengals chiseling down the roster. To, to respond to what you're saying about Clint Bowling, I don't see them getting rid of him. I, you know, I could be wrong. I think his his cap hits close to six million. It's five point seven five million. It's the most, uh, the highest cap hit he has had in this current contract that he signed. The five year twenty six million dollar deal. He, I'll say this. He's he's in his last year of his deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think some of these guys that they've brought in. I don't I don't know that Alex Redmond makes it. Um, I don't know that they're relying on. Michael Jordan to start right away or to be an immediate impact player. You know, maybe he needs another year of development. He had another year of eligibility that he decided to forego uh, in college. So maybe it's groom for a year and, you know, let Bowling play out the final year of his contract, have him be the anchor of, of this offensive line with all of these young guys on the line. And that's, uh, how it goes, and he will be gone after 2019. That's kind of more where I see it going. They're not in cap hell or anything mm-hmm. right now. Um, and for you, basically, who is currently your best player on the offensive line, Jonah Williams can prove that wrong. Cordy Glenn could have a bounce back year, I know, but for a guy who is basically known at this moment in time as your best offensive lineman, um, you know, five point seven five million cap hit is not very much. Uh yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, I. I last year the deal. I just, I see him sticking around for this year. That's just me. You know, I, I think it's, I, I do think he is a target though. And I think that's where I'd like to go next or some of the surprise possible surprise cuts to me. He's one people have said it earlier in the off season. They're not talking about it as much. Maybe D- Drake Kirkpatrick is out there. Um, given his salary, some of the things we have or have not seen on film from him. Um, You know, that's a guy that's not being talked about a lot. I personally would like to see them keep him with that stable of defensive backs they've built up, but, um, you know, that's another guy I I don't think people have talked about very much in terms of a possible cap casualty or a cut. Um, I don't know, but those are some guys that I could see could be surprised. Another guy, I hate to say it, I love the guy, I love it when he's healthy, but Tyler Eifert, if he ends up being a guy that just isn't healthy, isn't ready, um, maybe he's just not around. Uh, this year, and you know, injury settlement, IR. I don't know. It seems to me that he's going to be targeting training camp and be healthy. But we've heard that song and dance before too. I hope he's healthy. This team is better with him.
2: Yeah, and just just one more thing about the bowling thing. My, my whole thing, like, I, I'm with you. I would bet that he makes the team, and that the plan is to have Jordan take over for him in 2020. That's probably if I were to put my money on it. That's where I would. My whole thing with it is that. I believe that Westerman is talented enough to do the same things, if not more, that Bowling can do right now. And the sample size is obviously small, but in that small sample size has been nothing but positives. And just thinking about it from a big picture standpoint, I would obviously much rather have Westerman in 2020 to say like 2023 than I would with Bowling, because I think, unfortunately for him, age is going to catch up to him. He's never been the most athletic guy in the first place, so that's going to drop off as well. So, as much as I hate to say, he's pretty much a depreciating asset at this point. And just thinking about the betterment of the of the offense line in terms of the long term, it would be best to have Westerman start immediately. And unfortunately, with Bowling's cap, it it would be hard pressed to keep him on the bench. Now, obviously, if you remove Bowling, that's removing a good offensive lineman. It's removing good depth, and in, in a sense, it would make your offensive line worse for the time being. It's more of a of a thinking about the big picture, the long term. Yeah, it's a long and, play. Yeah, and and, 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 and and another thing with like if you keep Western on the bench in 2019, there's just a 0% chance that you can convince him to come back in, on, on an, a multi-year extension for 2020, because you, you're basically creating another Evan Mathis. And I think he's too good that they should, they should do whatever they can to kind of avoid that. But at the same time, again, I love Clint Bowling. I love watching him because I, w- I watch offensive linemen a lot and he's been the only saving grace at offensive line. But I think, it's in decent hands now, where they, they can afford to potentially do something like this, and I think it's it's one a move like this should probably be expected because we always try to predict the logical way of how to, of what the roster is going to look like, and there's always a couple uh, of moves that we just don't expect. And I think this is something that that at least needs to be re- remembered going forward.
1: Yeah, and for years this team. Never valued guards until yeah. they, you know, they drafted Kevin Zeidler, but they played Nate Living's over Evan Mathis. They did get Bobby Williams as a as a free agent, who ended up being a very good football player for them. But I mean, for years, forever, they never valued guards, and now all of a sudden, this this off season has been the off season of guards. They've got <laughs> guys that have started all kinds of games. Yeah, we know the deal with Alex Redman, but he's got starting experience. Trey Hopkins has starting experience in the NFL at guard. John Miller has starting experience at guard. Christian Westerman has starting experience at guard. Clint Bowling has starting experience at guard. And then you bring in Michael Jordan. You're just, you're like flush with guards all of a sudden, (laughs) just not used to it. Um, this team just has not prioritized that position very much, uh, especially as evidenced by letting Zeitler walk, uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, Pretty interesting, and uh, for those of you who have not read John's piece on the early roster prediction, the early 53-man roster projection, it is on cincyjungle.com. I think quite most of it, I think we can all agree with, there are, again, these handful of players, Kirkpatrick, bowling, what do you do on the defensive line, what do you do at defensive tackle, and how do you maximize you know, certain players versatility on this roster to, you know, to maximize certain spots and everything. And I think that uh, it, it creates an any, it creates a very interesting conversation at certain mm-hmm. spots. Um, one bold prediction about the roster before we move on to listener questions, John, one bold predi- prediction from you about the roster uh, as we sit here now in May and we look to the summer and I'm sure we'll look back and laugh at both of ours here, but, We'll
2: see um, to, 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 for the sake of not saying bullets can get cut. I'll, I'll go with eight offensive linemen and 10 defensive linemen. There's usually been a nine, nine balance. And unfortunately there's just, I look at the, I look at what they have now and they can't roster more than three tackles. Like they all they have behind the three they have right now is Ken Perkins. And I don't know how you roster Ken Perkins over any, literally anybody else who could provide you some value. So I'm going to say eight, Offensive linemen, 10 defensive linemen, and probably a 24 to 26 offensive-defensive split.
1: Okay. I'll say that one of their their big outside free agent acquisitions, whether it's it's Miller or Wynn or B.W. Webb, uh, someone will not make the final roster. That seems mm-hmm. to um, – that has happened before, mm-hmm. um, whether it's on the rental deal or what have you. It's happened before um, – I, I would like to see new faces and guys that are younger and potentially could contribute in an Rumo system or Taylor system, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, I think that uh, sometimes the Bengals end up signing these guys and they don't, they don't always make the team. And I, I think that one of their quote unquote, big outside acquisitions will not make the team. We're going to get to listener questions in just a second here. I'm Anthony Casenza. He's John Sheeran, and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've talked about the wide receiver group. We've talked about the early prediction of the 53 man roster for the Cincinnati Bengals as we uh, sit here in May. Obviously, a lot to digest, and a lot will change going forward. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can also get it on the Megaphone platform, our YouTube channel and everything is on cincyjungle.com please try and join us live if you can we'd love to have you we we answer questions on the air and uh if you're new to the program join us we'd love to hear from you and uh, leave us a rating subscribe to the show all that good stuff we've seen quite a spike in listenership over really the past uh i mean i, I could go back, back a year plus but uh <laughs> I really, since uh, since 2019, uh, we've seen we've seen quite a spike uh, in, in listenership, and that's uh, something we value. We've got uh, we've got a call on the line here, John, to kick off listener questions. We're going to get to this in just a second. And for, as I mentioned, for those of you who uh, want to get in touch with us, 949-542-6241 is the number. Hi, who's this? Hey, it's Terrell. Terrell. Wouldn't be a show without you, my friend. I know you've been trying to call in, I think, a couple of times, along with some other people, but uh, glad we got you in here this week. What's on your mind, my friend? Uh, No problem, man. I'm just saying, y'all have an excellent
0: uh, show as usual. Uh, Thanks, buddy. I just feel like uh, everybody letting me air down since Marvin gone as well.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: I mean I uh, I mean not, not just AJ either. Uh I uh, uh, uh Jordan Evans, um the offensive of lineman. He he ain't uh, he ain't he ain't scared to uh to let Jonah Williams know the secret. So so let's go. At the same time though, uh I do feel that uh, you know, somebody is on the chopping block and like you said, it might do, it might be the rental guys that came in. And um, I feel good about, of course, Guy Taylor. And uh, not, another thing I was going to say, there were so many mediocre teams made it to the playoffs last year. I mean, I mean, even the coach, they came from the bottom to the top.
1: And mm-hmm. I feel like, hey, you never know what's going to happen this year. And I was relieved with that. All right. Thanks, Terrell. Appreciate it. Good good point by, uh, by Terrell there in terms of, you know, we, we don't know. I, I saw a uh, – I think I got a tweet this week from – I think it was Frank Valora Valoria um, talking about, you know, the Bengals not getting respect from the ESPN. I think it was the power rankings. They're number 29. They're projected potentially to have six wins. And I think that's kind of en vogue for the national media as it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals. But to Terrell's point – there may be some things that are happening behind the scenes in terms of overall morale, overall attitude, um, you know, a little bit of pep in the step, if you will, uh, that comes with a new coach, a young coach that could, can affect this team in a big way. Um, This is, this is a roster that isn't, uh, if you, if you watch John, the ESPN telecast of uh, the the NFL draft, Lewis Riddick, who I, whose opinion I respect a lot, um, he said it very succinctly and very well. This is not a team that has ever really recently been devoid of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talent on this team. It's more about putting it together, proper coaching, being in the right headspace, being mentally strong, and beating those better teams on the big stages. And you know, I think the hope is that Zach Taylor is providing that confidence based on his coaching style.
2: And that's completely fair. Like, it, it, it Just in, in regards to the quote-unquote disrespect from the media, it's just looking at who else is in the division and comparing like the main important factors. You have the Steelers and Ravens who have established head coaches who have made the playoffs several times. With the Steelers, you have still at, at the moment a good quarterback. With the Ravens and Browns, you have promising young quarterbacks who you expect to get better. And then with the Bengals, you have a first-year head coach and a known average quarterback. So on the surface, the most important factor is quarterback and head coach. The Bengals have the least desirable, you know, duo on paper. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're the worst team. It's just that when you're making these, you know, presumptions and these projections in, in May and you don't have a, a ton to go off of and looking past like, you know, the, the rest of the, the structure of the ro- of the roster and whatnot, it's it's it, You can make a clear argument that the Bengals have the least promising in terms of overall potential in the most important spots. And until Dalton proves that he can be more than what he's, he's shown in the past eight years and that Taylor proves that he can be a competent first-year head coach, that's just the way that it's going to be because the Browns hype train is real, and uh, odds are they probably won't <laughs> Um, re- reach the level of hype that they are. The Ravens are the are the defending champs and the Steelers, until proven otherwise, are still contenders in the division. So that kind of leaves the Bengals in this purgatory where you're like, eh, I guess they're, if they're not third, then they're fourth. And that's just the way it is. And it, it's, yeah. it's up to them to just kind of, you know, y- y- use that, maximize that to their advantage and, you know, you kind of use this chip on the shoulder like, like, like the Browns have done in uh, last year and hopefully make it into a positive because right now it's kind of a negative.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we're we're trying to be optimistic on this on this program, and there is a lot to be optimistic about in terms of the the roster talent, this draft class they just brought in. But um, you know, you are dealing with first time offensive coordinator at the NFL level, first time head coach, at first defensive First-time defensive coordinator, first time defensive coordinator, right? Um, that's that's a big deal, yeah. Uh, and you know, rumo has been around the league for a while. Callahan, his is you know, his dad's been around the league forever. Uh, but, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we've seen other people get promoted to coordinator positions, especially with the Bengals who got a first time gig and just were in over their head. Uh, Ken Zampezi, I'm talking to you. So, <laughs> uh, we'll see there. And, and there are a lot of question marks and, and I think, uh, you know, I think the depth is better this year for sure. Yeah. at A lot of spots. I think that's, that's a key thing. We've talked about that a couple of times over the past couple of episodes. I wanted to get to this one. It was a text that came our way, John, and it kind of plays off of a little bit of a comment I made in our roster projection, uh, talk. It was, uh, from Austin Tran, uh, who's, uh, sent us some stuff in the past here. Um, this is Austin Tran. Love the show. Oh, Austin. We, 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 we got to pat ourselves on the back. Thank you. (laughs) We appreciate the love, my friend. Um, Do you think since the Bengals drafted two running backs, one of them can replace Giovanni Bernard until his contract is uh, until his contract is up to 2020? Well, I think there's a, couple of different ways to take that question basically are these guys that they brought in rodney anderson and travion williams are are these the guys that are going to replace bernard right away i think in your roster projection you had all keeping the all four uh Uh, mixing bernard and and those two which i see as well but my thing is what if they go and, and also I saw James Napke mention something in the in the live YouTube chat. Ifert more Tyler Eifert is more of a wide receiver. Mm. Giovanni Bernard, potentially a receiving type of weapon, and then you get these guys, the young kids behind Mixon, more involved as running backs as well. Is that something you see as a plan? Or were those picks riding on the wall for Bernard, um, who's been a very valuable and just kind of an unheralded guy on this team.
2: Yeah, I think Bernard is safe for now, but there's, like, he's got to be gone in 2020.
1: Like r- r- when rarely, it deals up, I yeah, think, right? Yeah, like, like, rarely
2: would you pay running backs on second contracts, and Bernard was a, a semi-exception because he was relatively cheap compared to what the market is now. Like And, and that's going to be a conversation in a, a year or two when Mixon's going to be up for an extension. But, yeah, like, like he, they're, they're, they're both Williams and Anderson are running backs who – should, pr- should prove to be more valuable than just six-round picks. I think they could have both been drafted a lot higher had um, w- Williams been a little bit bigger, more athletic, and obviously Anderson not injured and suffered three injuries in college. But I think the plan for right now would be Williams to back up what Bernard does, and that's be that third third down back and also be competent in pass protection, and Anderson be the backup to Mixon in, in case either of those two starters mix, um, miss time. They have two running backs who skill set reflect exactly – what um what, what what their starters do best but the only thing that would um tell me that that bernard's keeping the spot is that he's their best pass protector as a running back ah, and very important is. very important for for what this offense plans to do and coming out of college williams is a very good pass protector in, in himself he might he might even been the best pass protecting back it's just that whole thing of do you really trust a rookie to to be your best pass protector as, as a running back, I don't think that's necessarily what you want in, in terms of in terms of preference, so I think Bernard is safe just because of that. That's a very valuable skill set that, that he has, and also because he's a very good runner and a good receiver out of the backfield. I think he's safe for 2019, but I think the plan would be to have Mixon, Anderson, and Williams as your three running backs going into 2020 with maybe another investment who's not Bernard uh, via, via the draft. So I think he's safe for now, but 2020 is probably gone.
1: Yeah, and I He's kind of, Bernard's kind of in the same boat as bowling, right? right. Um, last year, the deal, getting up there in age, still only a 4.5 million cap hit this year. Not, I mean, granted as a number two running back, you'd like to see that a little lower, I think, but it's still not a lot of money, especially for not a, a team that's not cap strapped. So um, I think what he brings, like you said, the, the pass protecting thing, I've talked about that for a while. That That is a totally unheralded, facet of his game Mm. that goes overlooked all the time um can catch the ball almost as well as any of the wide receivers on the team uh and you know obviously a, a good running back as well so you know i i think in terms of a team guy and a talented team guy he's what you want he is getting up there in age especially for that position he's battled some injuries in the past um so I think for now, you go mix in, you keep Bernard. We also don't know exactly if, if this is going to be a red shirt type of season for Anderson based right. on some of, some of the injuries you mentioned. So, um, yeah, go ahead. He, he
2: is the one guy because there's always one guy who gets injured in training camp and then all of a sudden is on the pup and he's really not injured. I could definitely see him starting on the pup or even going to IR because he's not completely healthy and just stashing him to keep right. someone else. That would, be,
1: that would be my guess for, for the guy this year. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, and I think that would that would very much fall in into the uh, the, the Rodney Anderson um, kind of situation there. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Uh, we've been taking some listener questions, and we're going to get out of here in, in just a minute. Um, before we do, John. Uh, we put up a, a Twitter question and you had a you had a strange reaction to that um, I don't know if that if that meant you were positive or negative about the question or uh, you were interested to find out what the poll results were I think the poll is still up if not it, it closed very recently um, but seeing as how it's been... Basically, timelines on Twitter have been all Game of Thrones and all Avengers. We decided to do an Avengers-type poll. There is still a little time left. We've got uh, you know quite a few votes on it. Basically, who had the bigger and or better Marvel Universe legacy? And I, I'm not spoiling anything, but just in terms of characters' amount of uh amount of movies they were in how they developed the character um robert downey jr as iron man or hugh jackman as the wolverine come on spoiler alert hugh jackman dies as wolverine all right <laughs> but <Yeah>. no, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's been known for a little while now um
2: no i remember i remember responding to that i said oh lordy because yes it's so damn 50 50 and yeah, there's, no. a lot of, there's a lot of recency bias with with obviously because yep. endgame just came out but God, God, man, like, the, 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 I always think like Iron Man was like the soul of, of the Avengers, and while well, ca- well, Captain America was like the heart, and uh, they're both like leaders, but they both like are leaders in, in different ways. And the same thing goes with X Men, because like, um, Professor X is like the heart of, of that, but like, um, or maybe not, maybe not the soul, or maybe not the heart, but it, like, Wolverine was also like a a quote unquote leader with that, but it's it just in a different way. So they both had like similar roles with them and they were they were always like the like the emotions of those movies were always felt mainly through them. And the thing with Wolverine is that he had perform he was able to perform, Hugh Jackson was able to perform, evoking more emotion as Wolverine than I think Iron than Robert Down Jr. was as Iron Man up until the very end, because for the most part, Iron Man was always just this quippy character. We didn't really get to see the levels of his character up until Infinity War and Endgame. And I think the ending of that really encapsulated the growth, the growth of his character. Whereas like there was never, in my opinion, a bad like performance as, uh, as Wolverine was for, for Hugh Jackman, even though he wasn't a couple of bad movies looking at you last stand. And obviously uh, Iron Man was involved in some below average movies as well with, with the Avengers, but uh, it's so damn close to me. I can't definitively say one or the other, I, but like the way that hmm. Just, I, I think I think Logan was so perfect for for Hugh Jackman's ending as Wolverine that I would almost kind of give it right, right to him because again they're 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 two leaders they're two of the same leaders even though they're not the like the de facto like leader of that group I guess but just the way that Jackman was, was so perfectly Wolverine and I can't see either of the characters having a new actor anytime right. soon that would even come close to doing the same and it's no knock on. Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, because he was perfect as well. But just like, I just remember walking out of the theater, just like remembering Wolverine's legacy and Hugh Jackson's legacy as that character. It was just, it was so perfect for me. And I felt the same way about Iron Man, but just I remember feeling that and going against recency bias. I would just barely give the edge to Hugh Jackson.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, it depends on what day of the week. Right. I mean, it's just kind of like, I mean, I, you know, when we put that up there, I was like, Oh, uh, Iron Man. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Because, <laughs> and, and I think that you look at it and Wolverine, unfortunately, and Hugh Jackman had, uh, didn't have as many strong You know, some people didn't really like Last Stand. Some people didn't like the, uh, the other standalone. Oh, the origin or, movie was awful. Yeah. The origin the movie, movie, uh, the other one was okay where he went to Japan. That one was, was decent. But, um, you know, I overall I think uh, both of those guys you you have to give them credit, and I think that they knew that they was they were so perfectly cast. They loved the char- characters themselves. That's why they were in so many different movies, even in small small cameos. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were Iron Man was was in, and, and Robert Downey Jr. was in the Spider Man movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine was in the the the, the X Men the newer X Men movies that take place further back in time and he he's been around in those movies so um, I mean they've been in a ton of movies they both did an excellent job it, it would be hard to envision any other actor um, you know playing those playing those characters um, and I think that what gra- what gravitated viewers to them aside from I mean those two just in general uh, were two of my favorite comic book characters growing up but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what gravitated people to them is kind of their uh, rebel rebellious type of nature, but deep down, you know, they've got a good side and they've, they they kind of redeem themselves often on that front. And uh, I think that's what kind of makes the characters interesting and, and draws a lot of people to them, but both actors did, did outstanding jobs throughout uh, their movies that they've, Played those respective characters in and uh if you haven't seen Avengers, it's good. It's long. Um it's good. Um for me it's not not exactly how I pictured that movie, but it was it was still very good. Um probably need to see it again at some point, but uh carving out three hours, three and a half hours for a movie is rare these days. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was our that was our uh question of the week and if you want go on Twitter at uh banglesobi and vote. Right now it's 76% in favor of Robert Downey and 24% in favor of Hugh Jackman. So um a little lopsided there, but what are you going to do? Again, this is the Orange and Black Insider. You can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform, YouTube, cincyjungle.com. And, uh, yeah, I think those are all the platforms. I I don't think I missed any. But you can get them on a lot of different areas is my point. Subscribe to us. Let us know what you think. And uh, we appreciate all the support. John, any final thoughts before we get out of here? And shed tears for just just Wolverine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm
2: gonna, probably going to go to bed and probably change my argument because it's so freaking close. I I just I just feel like I I feel like if Wolverine was in the MCU, he would have been even even better utilized than what he is now. And that's that's honestly something that's impacted my decision more. But I I I can't end this without saying that Iron Man was amazing too, and I don't want not give him credit that he deserves. And Robert Downey Jr. Like aren't they both they were both Broadway guys, right? Because because they're both like. Like just Jackman and Downey Jr. They're not like your traditional action heroes. They're not like Tom Cruise or anything because like you can put you can put both of them in in any role and they would just completely thrive. And I think that's honestly another testament to how amazing they were and how they adapted to that. So now I'm going to think about this all night. So thanks. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> no, no, you're welcome. <laughs> there's not there's not a wrong answer. I mean, there's no. really not a wrong answer. It's just uh, you know. That's that's how it is. Anyway, thanks for thanks for uh, joining me tonight. As always, John, thanks for all of our live listeners and to those who submitted questions. Sorry, we couldn't get to as many and some of the calls that have come in, but uh, we appreciate it. Keep trying us and uh, we'll we'll try and get your questions on the air in future episodes. I did mention a couple of episodes ago that we. Uh, We've been working on getting Willie Anderson on the show, former Bengals offensive tackle. He has committed to being on the show. It's just a matter of nailing down time. So uh, we will definitely keep you updated as to when he will be coming on the program. It should be soon. And uh, that should be an entertaining listen, because we're going to ask him about some of these offensive linemen the Bengals got in in the draft and a lot of other things. So um, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.